yeah, over time, I started to engage people with what I thought was like a more gentle presentation. Um, I think it's something I talked to you about where it was like, oh, you can invite a person if they respond to something you've posted, let's say with something akin to, if not co-fueled by fear to say, okay, well, is this, let's walk through this together. Is that something you'd be willing to like, let's kind of explore together. And who knows, maybe I have some misapprehensions. Maybe you have some misapprehensions. Um, that would be gentle, right? It's sort of it, it, a little bit, it's like if you have a barking dog and you're like, hey, hey puppy, hey pup, not, not your enemy, but you wanna bark all you want, that's totally fine, but I'm not, I'm not your enemy. Kind of put your hands up, bring your voice into a different place, you know? You can also try being like, sometimes if barking dogs, you have to be like, hey, no, you know what I mean? Depends on the dog. Yeah, it depends, it depends on the dog. But like, you know, in general, like if I'm, if I have a, there's a, I'm around a barking dog and I feel like this energy is very similar because it is animalistic almost. Um, I tried that gentle thing. And I, the problem is I can't say the gentle route has worked any better, but it is less stressful for me. Because if I try to meet the energy of someone who's like, <laughs> then I'm a little bit in that place. And I was like, I don't necessarily want to be there because I don't need to be there because I'm not, I'm not in that anxiety state. You know what I mean? But that can look unempathic if you don't kind of at least co-match or seek to match someone's energy. But you know much more about that, I think, in terms of like space holding and that sort of thing and like letting, just giving people space to be how they are. And I'm more of an actor person. So for me, it's either like in improv training, you the, a very like basic potential tenant of how to play a scene, for example, if someone comes in with a particular energy or activity or initiation or whatever, you can then choose to, this is how one teacher phrased it, uh, mirror compliment or mirror copy. So someone's out on stage and they're frantically, you know, whatever, packing a bag, you can run on stage and being like, the taxi's here in four, four minutes, let's go, go, go. And you just start like doing the same energy that they have, or you can come in and be like, hmm. Uh, what's the rush what's uh i'm gonna just make some breakfast so if you wanna you know what i mean you kind of like and, and both of those can feel very different and both of those actually increase increase the tension of the scene that's kind of like what they're for so that is kind of my my tendency is to like both of those, because if you do that, if you are slow to a person who's anxious, they're going to get more anxious. If you're anxious with an anxious person, they're going to get more anxious. Now, this doesn't always, uh, and but I'm telling you, this is doesn't real life doesn't always work like this, but it often does. If you come in with any energy, either placating or agreeing, people intend to, I've noticed, if they're in that anxious state, get more anxious. So in some ways, Andy, you might be perfectly matched for anxious people because you come in a lot of times with like a strong neutral energy. <laughs> uh, yes, I have, I have the strongest neutral energy. Uh, yes, and I am Andy Swindler. And I'm Brendan McNamara. And we are totally classic. And yeah, I, I relate to that. And I'm wondering in that, example of improv um if something there's just something about the nature of change mm -hmm. like changing the frequency or changing the yeah. the energy or, or changing the direction and and that's i think that's guides so much of what we talk about here is just the nature oh, of change. oh yes and yeah in this episode specifically we're talking about it's a carry-on part two to the uh, to uh 
develop more questions uh, around the question, is fear dangerous? <clears throat> and uh, you just, <laughs> it's funny, I was, I was last night driving out, my, my dad uh, is in the hospital, uh, seems to be okay, just getting some tests, but, um, you know, heading out there and all day yesterday, you know, my, my, my whole nervous system, it was like even hard to describe, just, mm. just agitated, just felt like my nerves were, were like on fire. And, you know, I did what I could. Some of it was keeping busy. Some of it was taking care of myself. Some of it was going on a rigorous bike ride. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. and then I'm driving out there and it's wall to wall traffic. I live in Chicago mm -hmm. and even worse than usual. And so, so this, uh, my driving, if I'm in a calm state, my driving, I think is a good example of what you just said, because I, I will leave space ahead of me because I, I just truly believe that's not only the polite thing to do, but the, the efficient thing to do. Like if there's more space between cars, we do a lot less like slamming on our brakes and, and yes. stopping going and rubber banding. Yeah. Um, there's just more space in the system to sort of expand and contract. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, like that's like a spinal column. Like having yeah. the appropriate amount of, uh, of sort of whatever, uh, um, oh gosh, what's it called? Anyway, the tissue between the bones. But, or, uh, but almost cartilage, nobody. Car cartilage. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Uh, but no, almost nobody drives like that. So we'll, we'll see once we're all, <laughs> we're all yes. automated cars, we'll, we'll get to finally see how the system regulates itself. Yeah. Know, but this person behind me was tailgating me and flat, like flickering their headlights at me. Yeah. Because, and I, my best interpretation or story is because I was leaving some space ahead of me. Yeah. They're like, pull up, pull up. This yeah. was wall to wall traffic. The best yeah, yeah. Case scenario for them would have been I would have pulled ahead the <laughs> 15 or 20 feet. Yeah. And we would have been in the same scenario, except then just all compressed. Just, yeah, tight and 15, 15 feet forward. Yeah. I had two, and I had two reactions. The, the, the more empathetic one was like, wow, I, 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 I bet they're really agitated. I bet their nervous system is, you know, there's something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, something's firing. They're just, they're not really considering the system. They're just like, why is this car, why is this car not like, why is this car leaving space? Ah, you know, yeah, and yeah. That was, I have no idea. Like, that's the problem with driving. You don't, you have such limited communication between horns and lights. Mm -hmm. And my other reaction was, get the fuck off my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's that part of me. But, yeah. But it, to be empathetic, you know, it's funny when driving, I'll be like, I'll imagine they're my mother who doesn't have good eyesight or or my girlfriend will say, imagine they're constipated. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I... I no, I, I think that's... Listen, no, that's... Right. No, that's not... I, to me, I can just immediately relate. Archie, uh, my wife and I were just talking about this yesterday. And... Uh, it's a feature of driving in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I moved to, that uh, the positive, let me try to be positive first. Very few people use their horns, which is good for me. Horns make me. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's good. Horns produce a fight or flight response in me for certain. Really, okay. let's be honest, always fight. Um, so, but here they do, they ride your batonski, especially on turns. So if you have to slow down to take a right turn, people behind you don't really slow down. So by the oh. time I'm taking the turn, I'm like, oh dang, I gotta take this turn like way hard, like drift. I have to like half, smash half, into me. Yeah, I have to like halfway drift around this uh, around this turn. <sighs> but again, this does. Let me try. I think I can weave this back. This does. Uh, this is akin to the phenomenon of fear, meaning 
Like if I, especially in turns, right? If I, or even you changing the your practice of how you're proceeding in the flow of things. If you're going to get out of the flow, get into the flow or stay in the flow in a different way that generally the sort of the crowd energy or whoever's in closest proximity to you energy, whoever you run into or interacting with, a lot of times, most people's energy is built towards let's do things the way things are being done around us. So if you're going straight fast, just keep going straight fast, keep going straight fast. And it's like, I have to turn a right. That's my destination. I have to go there. That's where I'm going. I, I, I literally would end up somewhere completely uh, waylaid if I just went with the flow of traffic forever. You can't, but it's not possible. But I think we get into these loops in our own minds as well. And again, this is something as I've been talking to you and like you talk to me and you confront me on things that I like haven't really fully considered. So then it makes me go, okay, let me slow down. Let me leave some space then between me and the next thing. Let me not be like constantly push up and reduce the the amount of space. Cause I'm kind of, you know, I think we all constantly are looking for platforms on which to rest for a moment. So we don't have to think anymore. Let's just, let's get to a safe, like we're little furtive, furtive creatures running and finding a new place to hide <laughs> and then breathing and shaking and being like, okay, now what, now what I'm safe for a second. Now I can reassess. But traffic is a good example. Slow down, uh, bumper to bumper is good too, is more like the internet because there's no actual rush on the internet necessarily to reply. We feel it. We feel right. it the same way we feel it in traffic, but it's like, we're not, I can respond to you in 19 hours and it really doesn't matter. It's not like an in-person conversation, you know? Unless it's a story. <laughs> yes, doctor, unless you leave those three little dots percolating, percolating for, uh, you know, 24 hours. I always feel terrible when that happens, by the way. I just like logged onto it, oh. a, a thread. <laughs> and I realized that sometimes, especially on Instagram, like it, you'll put your comment up, but then your comment will remain in the thing, like the exact same comment or whatever. And I went back and I was like, oh, this has been here for like three days. As though, right. as though I was just like type, type, typing away for three days. <laughs> and they're like, oh, dang, this is going to be long. I but mean, anyway, really anyway people, yeah. you're a celebrity. You could just like leave that and people you'd have like whole people like not not showering for a week. Be like, yeah, exactly. I'm about to say something. Oh my gosh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson is going to talk to me. This is crazy. <laughs> no, it's a butt type. You got butt type by the rock. Well, one of the things that I realized we didn't talk about last time in the context of fear being dangerous was what happens when fear meets lethal force. Mm -hmm. A pretty obvious example of that would be a police officer. Yeah. And, and here, here's a topic that could is, is almost immediately um, side-taking uh, or, or politicized or whatnot. So I don't know, maybe we'll dabble into that. But, you know, I think we could all agree that uh, anybody carrying a loaded gun and you know actually sanctioned by our society to deal to dole out lethal force um has a hell of a lot of power has the power to end life has the power to destroy yeah. has the power to at least harm people and i'm not here to say that's all cops um i do i will or say or that would apply to citizens too i mean citizens have well that's that's true that's absolutely yeah, true yeah uh, security security guards whatever yeah. yeah, we could just say anybody with a gun. Gun, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially, especially in America, we are very gun heavy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I heard there were more guns than people. <laughs> there are, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
yeah. I heard that. It's true. Yeah, right. yeah, no, it's it's totally a thing. Yeah, yeah. more guns. It's funny. Less people, uh, less people have guns than we have in the past, but there are more guns. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not. It's funny. I haven't. I don't think I've ever been against that. Even though I did not grow up in a gun family, we were. Oh, me neither. Progressive academic. Yeah. Parents or teachers, you know, Midwestern kind of thing. So you know, I was rural enough to be kind of around some people who at least went hunting and whatnot but mm -hmm. yeah it was never that foreign and i probably early on had some judgment like well you know guns should be for you know hunting or whatever but but we have too many of them and but i i don't i don't know i've never been like super anti-gun uh i don't i don't think so much of i think what we might agree on is like a lot of this is about looking at our behavior yes. you know not sort of blaming the tool in a way um yeah. but really yeah. looking at how we are together and in our yeah. behavior regulating our nervous systems which takes us back to fear um so yeah we could talk about cops we could really talk about anybody carrying a gun the only difference there is well that's not that's funny i was going to say the only difference is that we the state has a monopoly on the the legal use of lethal force but that's not actually true there's so many so many environments and situations where yeah you can you are authorized by the state to kill somebody. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. They just have, they certainly have any, obviously cops and military have greater leeway. Um, they have greater legal leeway in the questioning of their decision-making uh, versus versus a, a quote-unquote citizen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, yeah. I mean, in that way, I think one thing I, I do want to just say is I, I think we are over-policed. I don't, so I'm, I consider myself an abolitionist in that way. You know, yeah, keep on the CPD and, and abolish the prisons. Um, although it's interesting, one of my colleagues has spent at least 10 years doing work in prisons, and, and she's like, You know, there are 20% of the people are in prison, we we need them to be there, like, like they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not, like, so you know, yeah, 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 yeah. There's 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 nuance, dare I say, to everything. Um, I was just explaining that to my daughter last night that I was like, oh, there, is, there are some people, I was just explaining like force. That like, for example, this may relate, uh, like responding with like yelling or whatever. Uh, it was like, sometimes there are people you have to yell at. You would have to yell at them. You might have to yell at them to stop them from doing something dangerous. You might want to yell at them to frighten them from doing something dangerous to someone else. There's sometimes you might have to punch someone in the face. These aren't general, these won't be applicable throughout your whole life. There will be sometimes you may have to actually try to kill some, you have to kill somebody because they're going to kill you or kill someone else. There are cases where all these things are appropriate. So we can't just say, oh, don't ever do that. We can say like, hopefully in your life, you'll never have to do these things. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's, there are, there are limits, you know? So we can't, I mean, again, we, we could abolish the police as we know it, but we still, we're going to need someone to do something in some organized, accountable fashion about acts of harm against others, which pretty much would be just a different word for for police or for prison, right? Yeah. What do you do with the people? You either have to kill them, or you have to put them somewhere where they stop harming people. You know. But it's basically it's, it's an adult version of time out. Yeah. Right. And and in some cases the answer is just exclude them. Right. And, and yeah, you can't. You know, hopefully, yeah. I, I do hold that you know healing and I don't even like the word reform. But, you know, I'd rather stick with healing is possible for everybody. But I realize that's that's naive, perhaps for some some folks um well i think it's the same for everybody it has to be volitional 
and this this has this is the same instinct that you've been dealing with like with people responding to if you're like examining anything that any preconceptions people don't have that uh some people don't want to even look at people have yeah. fear provoked and they don't even want to look at the whatever to make it benign they don't want to look at the spider right well <laughs> no. let's let's go there in a second i yeah i want to read one thing in the reading this book sand talk by mm. tyson uh Junka porta who's an aboriginal man from uh what we currently call australia and i'm just at this part where he's talking about gender let's say um and which is i know a topic we've, we've brought up here and it's really fascinating you know because he's he's just like he's like you know in, in aboriginal culture women women fight like women are badass like there's so many women that could kick my ass and like and we don't really yeah socialize ourselves that like men men carry all the force and mm -hmm. men are just the protectors and all of that um but one thing he said that really stood out to me is he's like the way the way we I'm paraphrasing poorly, but it's like the way we we handle violence um, is to evenly distribute uh, the ability to inflict violence mm -hmm. as, as well as we can. So, like yeah. everybody in in a village would have access to the weapons all the way down to the children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna lock those up, right? And yeah. and so in that way, it it kind of connected something I've been thinking about gun rights in America where I'm like I'm not instantly just totally anti-gun and like nobody should have guns for, yeah. for a lot of reasons all the way even down to the interpretation of the second amendment uh and and that really backed it up in a way is like oh yeah. yeah like if we all just have access to this then it evenly distributes it in a way that actually reduces the likelihood that somebody will abuse it i mean that's my interpretation of what he sure sure i mean in some ways it spreads threat across the entire population which so, sort of keeps a certain mindset restricted because some people only are like bully like the classic whatever like schoolyard bully who is a bully until you punch him in the nose or whatever those kind of folks uh for other people it might be exciting because it's like they want violence and they want violence in response um but generally it's going to keep people a little bit like anyone can stop me i don't there's no hiding place for me if i'm separate from if i'm far away from the police station or whatever you know i know i'm in like a blind zone where the cops don't come or whatever where you feel like oh, there's places in chicago like that where you're like people know they can pursue massive amounts of violence with no with very little re legal repercussion and now of course there are people around them who can who can respond with violence as well but the the sort of the disproportionate uh, or not disproportionate, but like disproportionate meaning uh, unequal, uh, you know, that a SWAT team can come in and overwhelm, you know, a, a few gunmen or whatever that, you know, a disproportionate response can, can sort of stop your, uh, your violence. Um, yeah, it's very interesting in that way. And I think actually this relates also correlates to fear as been, as it has been manifesting in our society is that people uh, specifically feel disempowered. They actually aren't completely they're they're empowered by culture meaning they have accepted a way of life wherein they have outsourced their thinking to other outlets so in some ways they've given away the weapon of their own critical thought they've given away the weapon of their mind 
uh, to someone else. And they're like, well, they'll, they'll take care of it. So in some ways that Aboriginal sensibility is like, no, we're all, we, we all are equally contributing resistance to imposition. All of it's, it's up to all of us. It's not like, and you look at the U S right. Think about how many crimes we've seen where people just like pull out their phones and they're yeah. like, I will just, I just want to get this for world star as opposed to no, it's everybody's responsibility to stop this. Like if someone is like just beating a, a large person is beating a, a small person and you don't know why I'm not saying, listen, that that small person molested that larger person's child or something, and they just need to beat them maybe to death. I don't know. I'm not completely opposed to that, but I don't know that coming upon the scenario. I'm not going to pull out my phone and be like, <laughs> look at this person getting their ass whipped. I, I, my instinct would be like, well, all I see is a bigger person beating a smaller person up. And I just use that because that's a classically American thing we don't like, right? The big guy beating up on the little guy um, no. or the majority beating up on the minority, right? We don't like that. We're like that's 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 in, op that's in opposition to our, our sense of ourselves. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, it seems like a wise thing. I don't mean to drag us off of talking about like gun stuff because gun stuff's fun to talk about too. But I was like, I think you bringing that up just immediately was like, oh yeah, that does relate to the all sorts of weaponry. Yeah, well, and, and you were actually bringing me back to the murder of George Floyd, which wasn't a, a gun, but it was certainly a no. cop using their power. I think we can all agree on that. Um, yes, well, and his, yeah, I, I would actually say the most, you know, looking back at it now, the most powerful power he used was his, in many ways, like his uh, authority, his sort of generalized quote unquote authority, and in some ways, potentially his sobriety. Because on a one-to-one -one basis, George Floyd was a big dude. Right, right. And they, and they both were bouncers together somewhere. So they both are men of, with the capacity for violence. So and they knew each other, which is so, yeah. that's just so weird. But like, but his, if you've ever had a drunk person get aggressive with you, you're like, drunk people are pretty easy to deal with. Right. They're not, you don't have to like fight real sensibly. You can usually actually just like, it's, it, you can let them like get all mad and burn their steam out you know what i mean even so in some ways he was like fully cogent so in some ways even though they're both grown men it's a little bit like an adult like really being rough with a child in that in that sense because if you're high if you're high as heck you're not right or, or, or like a, or like when you're having sex with somebody who's super intoxicated you're like no this is not this is not an appropriate this is not a one-to-one -one scenario at all Right. And, and a lot of the justification, I think, for overuse of force, um, particularly the police, is is fear. Like, sure. Yes. I, I was afraid they were. And I'm and that's where I have empathy for cops. I mean, my God, I mean, I, you know, I live here in Chicago. I've, I've certainly talked to a few and, you know, the things they have to, to face and go into. Like, who knows? I don't want to do that. I'm not a cop. And, you know, <laughs> no, 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 it's fully scary. Um and I, what what the reason I went there was because you were talking about this sort of bystander on the phone piece, yeah. and that's important that we have the ability to do that. Sure. And I was I was like imagining, well, if I was there, like, would I have gotten up in that cop's business and said, "Hey, what the hell are you doing?" And I'm, yeah, frankly, probably not. I would have, and that's yeah. my fear, right? That's my sure. fear that if yeah. I intervene, then now that force is going to be somehow turned towards me. Sure. Um, yeah. And the assumption, this is the this is the authority, cultural authority element of the uniform or any uniform, I would say, not even a police uniform. If a person in a impeccably dressed person, a person was on top of a person shabbily dressed, we, I think, naturally immediately assume, 
well, that person looks put together. So they appear more sensible than the other person. These are just legitimate. These are legitimate claims of, into, of intellectual thought. But like when someone has a cop's uniform on and they're in, on top of someone who doesn't have a cop's uniform on, we have this instinct of like, well, this is like what they do. This is literally their job. Same as if we saw a soldier, like a soldier on top of someone who didn't have a soldier's uniform on, you'd be like, well, all right, probably doing that for a reason. Just some part of you does it. You know what I mean? Whether yeah. or not that's true, whether or not that's true or not, right. that's just like, that's how our, our mental processes work. But partially based on fear too of like, that still is just a person hurting another person, man. You know what I mean? Let's not get too distracted by fashion. I mean, right now, every, I assume everything you're saying is is channeled. As yeah, I'm, I'm wearing, yeah, exactly. I'm wearing a priest collar today. So if I was if I was on top of you with my knee on your neck, people would be like, well, I mean, who are you going to go with here? <laughs> well, and there's two examples. So last night, yeah, this, you know, we, we went into the hospital after hours and this, this guy who was just there visiting his mom, uh, you know, let us in. And he said something, I wish I could remember the exact word he used. I don't think this was it, but he said something like, well, they don't, they don't like it when I let people in, you know, cause there's, there's vagrants who want to sleep here overnight or something. And oh yeah. He used a different word, but and it doesn't matter. So there, right? I'm like, okay, well, why do you assume we're not here to sleep? You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then it was, I was in my, my dad's like an assisted living and I was just there last weekend. And one of his nurses thought I was a doctor. Mm. I was wearing a fucking burnt orange hoodie from REI. I mean, my my fashion sense, as you can see now, is something akin to like, I'm always, you know, one step up, ready to put out the door to go camping. I mean, that... That's that's sort of that's, how I vibe. That's, that's pretty doctory. I've seen a lot of just really, like, especially well. REI is is high is high test. I picture doctors in like New Balance shoes. You know what I mean? They wear like fleece, sensible things. I can totally see that. That's well, funny. and yeah, and your height, and you've got some hair loss. All these things make you seem like a, as an author, like a potential authority figure. What are you talking about? Do you know how terrified I am of hair loss? Talk about fear. Yeah. No, no, no. But I'm saying all those things make you seem like, oh, you're an older man. You have a deep voice. Uh, you're taller. Uh, and then you're wearing an REI, which is not, I mean, that's like, that place is pricey, dude. Like when I want to buy like clothes or camping gear that I know is going to be like awesome, that's where I would go. Normal people, like not wealthy people go to, would go to Walmart or the thrift store, you know, or like a, or like a, a flea market. So REI, as soon as he said REI, I was like, nope, I totally get it. I mean, I know you. So I'm like, what is wrong with this person? <laughs> but stepping out of myself, oh, not that, well, you, could, not that you couldn't have been a doctor. I just am like, that's, I, that's just not, that is not who you are in that realm. I, I'm not nearly consistently enough academically to be a doctor. But, <laughs> uh, you, know, you know the way I do research. I'd be yeah. like, I don't know. I mean, I... I read an article like this is probably how to do this surgery it's all good I, i've so, interacted with many medical professionals and i'm telling you their their depth of knowledge on many subjects is about as shallow that's right in your face doctors i'm literally arguing with the doctor on twitter right now like just this morning because he was like there are no studies that show mm -hmm. uh, that vaccinated people are more likely to be infected and i was like you know i love when people say absolute things and i was like oh good all i have to do is show show one and then your entire statement is false and you'd have to recant it because you are a medical professional on Twitter dispensing your medical opinion. So that would be pretty important for you to say that. And then, of course, I, I think I shared six 
maybe four or five or six. And I was like, just so you know, this has been happening forever. So, and I, and I asked you, I, I was like, why do you have this misapprehension? But again, this just, this, I, I tie that in too, just because this is, these are symbols of authority, which then cause us to, I think, reduce, like, let our fear, because our fear is always involved in these kind of circumstances. If an authority figure tells you to do something, tells you something is true, uh, is har is harming someone, some part of us is like, has a survival instinct of, th A, this is conflict, I don't want to get involved. So then it immediately looks for, give me a B, I need a B, I need some symmetry on this, something confirm that I don't have to have responsibility, <laughs> you know? So... I think I see a path back to weave a couple of things. Um, one is, you know, I think I mentioned it a, a few times, but uh, the book, uh, My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Menachem. Yeah. I think does a, a wonderful job of like looking at the trauma body and mm. and looking at three trauma bodies, the, the white European ancestor trauma body, black African ancestor trauma body, particularly enslaved Africans who came to America and the blue body which is pretty rare actually mm, so to yeah. look at like, what is it what does it look like for the police in their trauma body and there there there's some of course in a lot of ways are generalizations and in some ways i believe there are sure. characteristics that are just inherited or or just common the way we're socialized or or the way yeah. that job works yeah but all of it basically boils down to, to trauma and healing and regulating our nervous systems, uh, particularly around fear. Uh, the, the difference, as we've said in a couple of different ways, is what happens when we when we mix in lethal force or a lethal weapon with that fear. Yeah. Unregulated, you know, trauma body. Um, so I don't know that there's much more to say about that other than that's, that's what we need to be doing is regulating ourselves. Uh, and, yeah. And there's an argument that you know, like the more the more lethal the more lethal force, the more potential for harm and yeah. death. Perhaps the more attention needs to be put on. I think that's the great that thing problem. that that we need to pay attention to generally is I would even say the spectrum of force going all the way up to lethal force, meaning that which ends a life. Right? This came up in the abortion conversation. Right? That which like ceases a life is like on the sort of the end of the spectrum, really. I mean, you could involve torture or whatever and that sort of thing, be like, well, it's kind of worse because it's a it's a death that lasts really long. But anyway, generally speaking, like lethal forces at one end and then compulsion of any sort, like, because then there's like, there's uh, whatever alchemical energetic force that people exhibit. Uh, you can do it in person, you can do it. And then there's like the force of increased volume of your voice. Then there's force of literal like physical, assault by security guards let's say right so like let's say the fear of because this is one of my favorite topics the fear of the unvaccinated right uh leads someone to then call security to remove you because they have a they have a they have a mandate in place in this bit place of business you're not supposed to be here unless you're vaccinated so then physical force in that continuum of like once you get into actual physical harm like harm in the in the in the verifiable sense i guess um and violence uh, once, once force, true force is involved, as opposed to all the other like previous semi forces, um, and force is the underpinning of all. I gotta be careful saying all, but let's just say nearly all, maybe all, <laughs> uh, all rules, all of them. 
You know what I mean? Any like rule you have, you're like, okay. And we all recognize this from a very early age. Some of us slightly earlier than others, depending on our like tendency towards um, conformity or um, rejection of conformity. Everything is based on force because every kid eventually goes, oh yeah, well, what are you going to do about it? Uh, you can't, you have to sit down in your chair. Tommy, you got to sit down. Yeah, I have to. What are you going to do about it? What if I don't? Okay, well, then you're going to have this punishment and this punishment. How are you going to make me do that punishment? Well, you got to go to detention. Well, okay, how are you going to make me do that? Well, if you don't take detention, you're going to be suspended from school. How are you going to make me do that? These are, these are basic questions we ask in like, in the very least, like somewhere in that first to fourth grade range. At least that's what happened for me, more in like third grade, I'd say. Um, and that already happens with your parents. But then it starts happening with like outside quote unquote authority figures, which relates more to cops, doctors, all these sorts of people. Like, what are you going to do? Eventually it's physical. It's all physical. Every, every, every law that we have in the United States of America has the weight of physical violence, of force behind it or else it doesn't exist. Just like, because there's too many, and again, many people will just go along with it because they're like, they don't want to upset people. But again, I don't know if it's 20% or what the percentage of people is that just will be like, well, no. A, just from an intellectual sense, who are you to exhibit any, like exert any authority over me? I'm a fully sovereign, autonomous human being. That's even just a percentage of people who are resistant to imposition. Then there's a whole chunk of people who actually just really like doing terrible things. <laughs> you know what I mean? There are people who just love exhibiting force over people, love punching people in the face. We've seen this, you see this in positions where people are granted authority. And I think we should all be concerned about, let's say police are a good example. Soldiers are another great example. I, I don't think it's undue to suggest there are people who get into that sort to work out the trauma and like regain their power. But there are certainly people who get in there because they like to do harm to people. And then they they get a career where they have carte blanche to do so. We see this with the same thing with surgeons or whatever, right? They're like the, the high uh, propensity for uh, soci sociopaths amongst like high performing surgeons. They want the power of God. They want the power of God in their hands. Same thing with soldiers. If you have a gun in your hand, that's why that's the appeal. You might not even ever want to commit violence, but you like to hold the power of God in your hand. Life, I have the power of life and death. You know, yeah. it's pretty wild. And then you can understand if people are afraid of power, that's another fear element. If people are afraid of power, even I'd say, let's get real in depth, afraid of their own power, then my goodness gracious, you've got a phenomenally fearful culture and the aboriginal idea is good. Let everyone embrace their capacity for power. And then I think would be a lot less fearful generally. But again, when you outsource, outsource, outsource. So when someone has to talk, they've outsourced their thinking, then they have to talk to you on a one-to-one -one basis about something that an authority figure told them. They don't know how to respond. They're like, but I don't, there's no cops here. You know what I mean? They immediately almost get in that situation. There's no authority figure here to protect me. I can, I'm not, I can't, I gotta, I gotta go. Right. Which is which is not which is outlandish, but it's understandable. Right, we're outsourcing that that regulation instead of just handling it with each other. And that's, yeah, figuring that's out common. how to figuring out how to breathe and think. And I, yeah, I, I agree. Like I think so much. I just kind of measure things and like, is this a punitive approach to yeah. governance generally? And that yeah. could be all the way. It could be way less sort of dangerous and like just like how sure. are we operating in this office environment? Yes. This is are we demanding something and, and even subconsciously promoting energy that, that is really a punitive 
has a punitive sort of um, accountability attached to it, or, or are we yes. finding a way to like truly work together and like find a common reason we want to do this thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, and Pers I persuasive even like, and not in a bad way. Yeah, that's funny you say that because I I realized like just the other day I was sort of confronted with the idea of like um stating my case like like arguing for something and i realized yep. a lot of times i just sort of want to present something and be like well isn't this isn't this obviously like the thing you want or the, the right thing <laughs> yeah yeah it's like you know and I, I think i'm more of a writer than an orator in that way and so that's that can be challenging but all that means is i just need to sort of think it through ahead of time um yeah but one thing i wanted to come back to was something that came up this week is i've been as you know um you know poking the internet a little bit more uh, as well as my own groups i think we i think we talked last time because i think it was really live for me like what was yeah. happening in one of my um men's groups around trying to trying to even socialize the the ideas that that you've been um talking about for so long and we've we've been talking about for several months around you know the 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 idea of vaccine segregation particularly and what are the real implications of that? And yeah, I'm not gonna like open all of that back up. Um, but you had shared um, <laughs> this photo is so tiny I can't see the whole thing. But it was an apology. You know, it was like a, what a cafe in, in Melbourne, I think. Yeah, it's, it's abbreviated. Um, and it was a cafe that was actually apologizing for excluding unvaccinated people. Uh, yeah. Which, was a pretty remarkable. I don't know how many examples of that are happening. I assume they're an extraordinary. I've, I've, li I've literally seen two, I think. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, and I just, you know, it's funny. Like sometimes if I'm like, I, I am afraid of this subject. Actually, you know, a couple of fears that are coming up for me. Like I relate to the, what you were saying, like the fear of power. Like that's been a huge part of my journey around yes. even like power and privilege. Like, yes, yeah. I am afraid of my power. Um. And that's something I can pretty much I'm always working through. And in this way, this brings us back to fear and and the pandemic. And it's it's less maybe obvious, right? Because a cop holding a gun and sort of the power dynamics and the fear might be easier to sort of see if we yeah. just saw that we could like diagram it, you know. Yeah. Now, in, this, yeah. This, in this case, it's harder. And I think that's a lot of what we're we've been talking about. It's like, well, what what are the numerous layers? And I remember even in the beginning, like I was like, Brandon, well, people, people are afraid of, and you're like, what are they afraid of? I'm like, they're afraid of the vaccine, the virus. And you're like, what? We've been through all that. So yeah. I wanted to read this piece. So I, I sometimes if I just want something to be a little more ephemeral or or I'm just tiptoeing out, I do, I'll do it as an Instagram story because I know that won't yes, last, last it as won't long. Last. Oh, darn uh, it. I have to stop you right in the sentence. I'm about to poop myself. Hold on. Be right back. Okay. Uh, all good. Here we are. Um, yeah, I just wanted to read this response. Um, so I had, you know, just shared a story on Instagram. And this is interesting too. I like Jermaine to what I was just saying, like often I'll just share something and I don't, I don't add commentary. Yeah. Like you're, you're way better at that. Like you add, and sometimes that's laziness or sometimes it's like, yeah, that, that, um, strong neutrality. Maybe you mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, here, I'm just presenting this and, and a lot of people would in, infer that it's like oh well if you're sharing it you agree with it I'm like well that don't ever think that like I'm just sharing things yeah I think yeah it's provocative or interesting or you know yeah. 
Yeah, that's a popular thing on uh, Twitter. People put in their bios, they'll say retweets don't equal endorsements. Yeah, okay, maybe I should like, do that. Kind so, of establish. So, and this was about, uh, you know, this apology from this cafe in Melbourne. And, oh, yeah. Oh, you, you know, it's funny. I did offer a slight commentary, very brief commentary on this one. It's yeah. a start. It's a start, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. That's what I said. And yeah, I, yeah. And, and then she just said very briefly, huh question mark yeah and it's you know somebody i've known for a long time i wouldn't say we're super close but we haven't but we we you know intersect here and there um i happen to know uh, she's immunocompromised immunocompromised um and so she said huh and then i did explain myself a bit more and i said uh, hello you know while i'm vaccinated and boosted myself it's also come to my attention that the laws and regulations preventing unvaccinated folks from participating in society were unwarranted and ultimately did not further the goal of protecting the vulnerable while many just want to gloss over this error and judgment that led to exclusion i think it's notable when someone is willing to apologize yeah that's pretty clear which is surprising i don't know that the science backs this my friend so eh, pretty open yeah, yeah. Um, as someone who's highly vulnerable, not being exposed to people carrying the virus kept me from getting sick and possibly dying, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. People who are unvaccinated are much more likely to be carrying the virus. And when they uh, chose, or sorry, choose not to act in the best interest of their community, they need to be held accountable. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, it's interesting, it's police language. Well, and I think what I'm interested in with this apology is that it is a kind of accountability. Yeah. That's so alive right now, right now that, yeah. this, and I was just, I was noodling on this, I think on my bike ride, I was like, would, like, would we even be talking about COVID amnesty if, if somebody didn't recognize that something wrong was done? Like if, yes. if there's a defensive posture being put forth <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. or an avoidant posture of like, eh, yeah, eh. we just yeah. kind of leave this one behind. Um, yeah. And I think you've dug, dug way, way deeper into all that than I have, but I, I'm going to, you know, assert that, that her, she's has a fear based motivation to sure to be distanced from the virus and from danger. And I'm not yep. saying that's wrong as a basic mode of being. You you put it well the other day, like we prioritize our threat response as humans. That's or as yeah. any animal probably. Yeah, totally, um, totally normal. And yet uh as open as sort of or as like sort of non-conclusive as her language was around like, oh, I know what the science is. Sure. She, she was also like keeping herself perhaps from from exploring a, a a deeper just an alternate point of view i'll just put it that way just yeah. just what else so i'm so that to me that's this much more complex puzzle of of when does fear you know create such a, a hardened view of of how we need to be together yeah that you know another thing we continue to explore is how could that possibly validate you know, segregative policies or, or and then yeah. literal, literal use of force. Right. Yeah. But I think at that point, I mean, at this point, so deep, we watched it all happen for, we watched it from whatever, March, 2020, we watched the Coast Guard. I don't know. I think everyone saw the footage. Eventually we watched the Coast Guard in California 
drive their boats out onto the water and literally physically grab a man who was on a paddleboard because of the viral danger, quote unquote. It was an insane act then. It made no sense, but it was use of physical force for those who didn't comply with what the government said was the best way for us to deal with this other danger. So physical threat. So physical force was used. I, I don't know if you've seen them. I've seen tons of them, of footage of people being hauled off by police on all fours. Literally, I mean, like literally four police, one holding each arm, one each holding each leg. I've seen those tons of times, uh, cities across the country for people who were like getting on buses or subways without masks on. So we've seen physical force criminalizing a certain uh, responsive person or non-responsive as the case may be. So at that point, again, this is the, you get into the fear-based assumption, which is anyone an authority figure is wrangling with is a bad person. So like, for example, this is that her thinking style through fear, through what you're saying, like appraisal of actual danger. So that's a legitimate aspect. Then leads her to say, well, then I don't want to be, like if I'm, a, let's say, uh, I don't want to be then around dangerous people. So you can look at, but the same, by the same token, you could look at like uh, murder or rape statistics being like disproportionately under, like found under certain racial categories and then be like, well, I'm a four foot 11 woman. Uh, eight, a hundred and whatever, one pounds. I can't be around people who are more likely to rape me. So I can't be, I can't go, they shouldn't let any, whatever, they shouldn't let any black men in clubs or 20, who knows, 20 something year old white guys. I don't, I don't know the statistics, but like there are certain categories of people who are absolutely more likely statistically to, to, to rape me. So it's a real fear but then you then just think it's okay to then remove a whole category of people based on that, based on that fear, your personal fear. And you're like, well, and then the crazy thing is then fear leads you to then go, that's why this was effective. So then say, let's say a whole year goes by when they do this and they don't allow black, black men and what uh, and white men of certain ages into clubs because it's dark and there are women there for a whole year. And you're like, well, that's why I didn't get raped. For sure. That's not, that's not sense. Like that's not sensible. But it's when when someone allows fear to allow force up on their on their behalf, um, in order to protect them. In which case, then this is the amazing thing about force. We love force. We love force. Force helps us feel safe. <laughs> Knowing there's someone who can protect us from something actually dangerous is, what it's like. It's a great feeling. <laughs> You like, know what I mean? Trust the force. Is that what you mean? Yeah, you got to trust the force. But no, you do, right? So if there's somewhere like uh, for marauding animals, right? You're very excited if a bear wants to kill you and someone has a gun. That's you're like, oh, I'm so glad. Like someone, because I'm not going to win a, a fist fight with a bear. So whatever, like that's sort of it's it's such a complicated relationship on how to like solve fear, which then grants all these sort of adherences, you know, which are good socially, meaning then we we regard those who protect us as worthy of respect, admiration, love, that sort of thing. That's good, right? So this is the great, this is why it can be so difficult to unravel fear as it manifests in force. Because it's so, there's things that are positive and negative about society, you know? Yeah, and we're gonna need to come in for a landing and obviously- Oh yeah, let's do it. Talk about, but I love, I think you really actually sort of wove 
wove that together. Um, and you brought in this this quality of fear providing like validation or correlation. And, yes. it, and it may be what's happening is, well, this is sort of what I thought two years ago. And I was certainly in that camp. Yeah. I'm still alive. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. so the, you know, ergo that that that's why you know because because we because we had the vaccine because we were segregated i'm still alive yeah which is i know why you're such a strong proponent of like no let's actually look at science because that's that's an objective reality hopefully we can all yeah that gets us out of because when we i mean i i know i am an intuitive and mm. often that leads to a subjective reasoning sure and there, there there's value to that and yet, yes. in this case, it's like, uh, but but no, like, can we have like tangible, clear, you know, evidence uh, yeah. based approaches to figuring out what's really happening here? Yeah, which is, and again, takes you back to cop, it threads you back to everything, the cop stuff, to everything. You have to be like, oh, I was afraid. Were you right to be afraid? Like, was it okay that you were so afraid that you ended up using violent force, you know, or force at all? Literally, why putting your hands on somebody or saying or literally putting force of like you can't come in here or else we're going to throw you out i was just watching someone just uh, show the clip the other day uh, they like brought it back they were saying in this whole pandemic embassy thing which we'll talk about in the next episode um, but like we're not going to forget this uh, and it was police and the owner of a restaurant kicking a five-year-old out of a restaurant like literally standing there and like be like we're going to physically take you and your family out because you're not the kid wasn't vaccinated um, so they literally kicked a child and his family out because the child wasn't vaccinated. So physical force was used. And so all of these, any secretive practices, whether it's at a place of business or anything, force is involved in all of these. And so to me, that's where once you're going to start to use force, we better have some ding dang objective evidence because we can't, we can't just go on that instinctual feeling because we're, because we're so often wrong. It can tell us what we need to examine. Right. And they're like, oh, this is, I feel this way. Let me go see if that's real. So I think subjective response is enormously relevant and people should be honored in the fact of having that feeling. But then we then have to, yeah, we just have to come and bring like, okay, is that a reasonable fear? Because let's get rid of at least as much as we can. Let's get rid of all the fear we don't need. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's a land on. Yeah. Talk to you soon. I love you. Bye. Bye.